Hey, uh, it's, 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 uh, it's been a fun week. It's been a crazy week. Um, many of you, we all uh, voted. You guys know the election stuff's happening. Um, and then on top of that, we uh, saw some incredible things happen for the first time in about um, two years. Um, Florida State played a full four quarters of football. Um, that was fantastic. Yeah, right. Anybody defense, you know, that, that was that was pretty cool. And then I don't know if anybody um, watched yesterday. I know many, many of you, you know, nobody, nobody likes football beyond Florida State. But um, in case you missed it, Clemson lost. Thank Jesus, literally. Um, not even that like, you know, ACC, ACC, we want you guys now, you know, I mean, whatever, man, we don't like Clemson. Um, so on top of that, Washington lost. It is it a lot, a lot, a lot of fun stuff has happened yesterday. So what a time to be alive. Um, uh, we are in this series called Others, and, and, and honestly, um, Devin really hit the, 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 the head on the nail, or the nail on the head, uh, with, with a lot of the stuff that she was saying, when the idea of it is, for us as a whole, um, especially this week, it be, it, it's apparent for many of us that, uh, that we have this idea um, of what we want, and what we like, and what we think is right, um, and as Christians, um, we ought to stand up for stuff, we ought to say stuff, and we ought to, you know, speak what we think, and we're, we're allowed to have an opinion. In fact, you ought to have opinions, um, but one of the things that, that we have all experienced um, in this whole election cycle, and we didn't plan this series intentionally around it, but it just kind of worked out that way, um, is when we see someone who disagrees with what we said, or what we say, or what we think, there is something inside of us, there is something inside of all of us, this is not like a, a if you're on the left, if you're on the right, if you're, you know, in the middle, if you're just kind of, you know, wherever you are, but when someone says something that, that disagrees with what you say or what you think, there is something inside of all of us that just kind of wells up, there's a bit of pride that happens, there's a bit of, especially, you know, if you're a guy, and girls, I'm sure you're the same way, but I just kind of speak from the, from the male experience, there's something that kind of wants to bow up and be like, oh, really? You know what I mean? This is like if you were a kid, you'd say, let's take it to the yard, if you, you know, were that kind of, grew up in the, in, in the South, perhaps, you know, you knew if anything went wrong, you just took it out to the yard, and you can settle it with the fellas, you know, and then the only, only rule is, you know, don't mess up the bushes, that was mom's rule, you know, just fine, 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 just watch out for my bushes, okay. Anyway, there's something inside of us, this is, if we're being honest, that says, this is what I want, this is what I think is right, whatever spectrum, whatever field of life, this is what I think, what I want, what I have, and there's something almost innate inside of me that wants what I want and wants what I say to be what everyone else says and what everyone else thinks, and that's just obviously not a political statement, that is completely relational. For all of us, if you're at work, right, and you have a project, you have a boss, you have a boss that especially is a boss that does some stuff in the way that you wouldn't do things if you were the boss, and you think, how in the world could someone think that way and do that way and, you know, task that project in that particular manner? You've got a teacher, and that teacher drives you nuts because they constantly over-demand, 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 and under-teach, and under-teach, and under-teach, and under-teach. And you're thinking, how in the world, why in the world can you expect us to get a good education when you teach the way, and you expect the way, and then at the same time you under-inform the way that you do? You've got parents, parents, you've got kids. Especially if you've got kids, you know that this is innate inside of almost every single two-year-old. That they want what they want. To not reference a, you know, an old school song, but the heart wants what it wants. Uh-uh. Anybody around for that series when we did that? Okay, half the church like revolted because I sang that every week. Anyway, <laughs> see, you don't want me to sing that song. You're like, no. Hopefully you're not. Anyways, the point is, the point is, the point is, at the core of the teachings of Jesus was this simple idea of a love for our neighbor, a love for our neighbor, a love for our neighbor, and how we all usually almost, in, almost always interpret that and on top of that, live that out. 
is not just simply a love for our neighbor. We live that out in a love for the people who love the things that we love and think the way that we think and act the way that we act. And when we come against someone who thinks differently, who acts differently, who perhaps is from a different background or a different part of the world or a different ethnicity, sometimes it is difficult because of our innate, sinful, human nature to love that person. And not just to love them. Because we can all say, okay, well, I love you. But as Philippians 2 talks about, that you would consider that person who you disagree with. You consider that person who there is a relational rift with. You consider the person who has just burned you over and over and over, time and time again. The person who is just so extraordinarily difficult to love. Not just as, okay, I love you, but I don't ever want to talk to you. But as more significant, more important than yourself. In fact, the way Jesus said it was, I want you to find your enemy. And I want you to go actively love and serve your enemy. And for many of us, let's be honest, we are okay with the idea of a neighborly love, a brotherly love. But the call of the Bible, the call of Jesus, is a love that is so extraordinarily deep. It is self, not serving, it is self-sacrificial. Especially the more different we are from each other. Now, what I want to do is I want to take you to a couple passages where Jesus talks about this, and a little bit later, John is going to talk about it. And they're going to describe it in a context that I think is so, so, so helpful for us today. Because essentially, what they're going to talk about is this. Let me just kind of give you the the bottom line of the sermon. The depth of your love for other people, the depth of your love for other people, again, when I say other people, let's not think the people who we all, you know, we're easy to get along with, the people who love us. Of course, Jesus would say, you know, man, the people who love you, you love the people who, are lo- who love you, you're, you're no different than anybody else. That's not uniquely Christian. That's just uniquely everybody. But I'm talking about the people who are nothing like you, the people who you hate, the people who, you, who are your enemy. So when we say other people, that's what we're talking about. The difficult other But what essentially Jesus is going to say and Paul is going to say is this. The depth of your, the depth of your relationship with God is measured by the depth of your love for other people. The same way that you would measure or that I would measure or that we would measure the depth of our relationship with God is directly proportionate to the way in which we love the people around us. Now, let me tell you why that's so critical this morning. Because for many of us, depending on the, 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 the faith background that you were raised in or the faith background that maybe you're familiar with if you weren't raised in a particular faith background, depending on how you were raised and where you were raised, we all measure the depth in our relationship with God in different ways. For some of you who were raised maybe in a little bit more of like the youth culture back in the day, um, we knew the person that was the most spiritual by the person who, who memorized the most Bible verses. You know what I'm saying? Anybody have that kid and then like they were in like fifth grade or fourth grade and they had sword drills? Anybody participate in sword drills? Let's do a quick show of hands this morning. Anybody some sword drill folks? Okay, cool. You don't ever have to raise your hand again. I promise I'm not going to embarrass you. But if I said, you know, you know, John 3.16, you'd be like, and I don't even know what you yell when you yell sword drills because I was never a sword driller in my life. But, you know, sword drills, by the way, <laughs> I just realized I said that like 15 times and some of you guys are like, I've never been to church before. So that, it's this really goofy way that Christians say, who can find the quickest Bible verse? Okay, so that, that, that's a sword drill. We can talk about that later. 
Some of you, it, it was the, the person who could find the verse the quickest. It was the person who found the verse, you know, the, 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 the quickest or knew the verse, the verse the most often. For some of us, um, it was the person who prayed the longest or prayed the best. You know, you got together in your community group or your small group or, you know, when you were growing up, maybe a different type of group in Sunday school. And they said, who wants to pray? And it was that one, you know, guy or that one girl that always prayed. And they just prayed and prayed and prayed. And you're like, God is, you know, this is like shaking the doors of heaven when they pray. Oh, my gosh. Oh, Father. You know, they say all that kind of stuff. And he's like, you know what? That person is spiritual. For some of us, um, we were raised in churches where the most spiritual person sat the closest to the front. You know, so the first three rows this morning, congratulations, you're in heaven. <laughs> i never forget, I went to, um, my sister for about a year and a half was an au pair in Italy. Uh, and I got to go kind of on the tail end of it, which was cool because she had already experienced, she'd already, she'd already been all over Italy. She was in Torino, um, which is a, another pronunciation in Italian. Anyways, and when she was there, I got to go on the tail end and visit for about a week and a half. And she had already been everywhere. She was fluent in Italian. And so we got to go and talk and, you know, and go kind of wherever I wanted to. And we went to Rome, as many of you guys have been to Rome before. And we got to sit in the Vatican. We just happened to be there at a time for Mass. Now, I grew up in an Episcopal, Episcopal background, which wasn't too far um, from the traditions of Catholicism. And so we got to go to Mass at the Vatican. And so I'm thinking, okay, Vatican, one shot, baby. I'm not back row Baptist on Vatican. You know, it was like a Tuesday afternoon or whatever. So I'm like, I am sitting in the front row at the Vatican, right? This old lady like walks up, and you, some of you know, know this, this lady at church. You know, she walks up and she just kind of looks at you, and you know that you're in her seat. Like, I got one shot. I'm, I'm not moving, you know. This is Vatican Saturday or Vatican Tuesday or whatever it is. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, this might be the most spiritual lady on planet Earth. You know what I mean? She is the one, out of all the, you know, the, the elder church folk that walk in and that have their seat, she is the person that everybody knows at the most high place of the Catholic religion. She is the front row sitter at the Vatican. I'm like, man, if you can earn your salvation, she just did it. Because for all of us, for all of us, for all of us, we have a way of measuring the depth of our relationship with God. And what the Bible speaks to is not how much you know, it's not how much you attend, it's not how quickly you can look up or how quickly you can recall from memory. By the way, Jesus says it actually, if you've got, a, if you've got your Bible, you can open up the book of, of Matthew. Book of Matthew, actually, we're going to start, I had written down earlier at verse 38, but we're going to start at verse 34 instead. Now, to get, paint you a little picture, Jesus is talking in Matthew chapter 22, verse 34. Jesus is talking. And as he's talking to um, a group of people, he actually just gave a parable that we studied a few weeks back. And on the tail end of his parables, as, as many times with Jesus' teachings, there was a lot of talk, a lot of confusion, a lot of questions and all that. And so a little bit later on, there's a, there's a guy who's a wise guy who is of the Pharisees. Now, it's going to denote that, you know, Jesus had just talked to some Sadducees. Now, that was another religious kind of elite intellectual group. They had some core distinctive difference, differences between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But the Pharisees and the Sadducees were both in this camp of, we know a lot. We are extraordinarily well-versed. In religion, we are extraordinarily well versed in the Bible. This is like the person, if you're here this morning and you've been going to church forever and you could tell all of the Bible stories. In fact, you could lead Sunday school, you could lead a community group, you know what everyone else knows. And they heard, the Pharisees heard, that Jesus had said some stuff to the Sadducees that had kind of just threw them for a loop. And so the Pharisees, or one of the Pharisees specifically, wants to catch Jesus. And he says, But when the Pharisees heard, verse 34, that he being Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question. 
He asked him a question to test him. He said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? In other words, teacher, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of commandments in the Old Testament, in the law is how they refer to it. And so which one of these, if you had to just say this one's the greatest, which one is the greatest? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest in the first commandment. And then almost without taking a breath says this. And the second is like it. Now, that word like is a critical word. Essentially, it's not just that the second is, is like it. The second one is, in other words, connected to it. The second one is almost a shadow, almost a mirror image. The second one is inseparable to the first one. That you shall love your neighbor. As yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he says this. On these two commandments, verse 40. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. In other words, anything that has ever been said by God through people to people can be summed up in these two ideas. That you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. And strength, as other versions would say this out. And that you would love your neighbor, which is inseparably connected to that. In other words, if you want to know what God's concerned with, if you want to know what at the core of God is God's primary concern here on planet Earth, it's that you would love God, that you would have a deep, abiding love for God, which we could spend an entire Sunday, we have spent multiple Sundays, just simply talking about that idea. That it's not a simple affiliation with God. It's not a cultural representation that I am this way because of who I am, because of how my family is, because of where I was raised. Because if we're being honest, at the core of this isn't, isn't me, for me to say, okay, so let me go try to love people more. The core of this is let me fall deeper in love with Jesus. And as I fall more in love with God, it drives a love for other people. Jesus, come on. The first commandment is that you would be in love with God. Many of us, we know God. We know Jesus. We have an affiliation with God. And with Jesus. But to say I'm in love, that I love God, that's a little more personal. That's a little more intimate than perhaps how I would describe my relationship with God. Jesus would say, exactly. Exactly. Because it's not characterized by the fact that we are Christian. Because of the fact that our parents were Christians and our grandparents were Christians and our great-great-grandparents were Christians. We are not simply Christians because of the fact that we have an affiliation because of where we were born. Many of us were born in the South. And it's like if you're born in the South and you were raised in the South, if you aren't atheist or Muslim, then you're a Christian. Just by nature of who you affiliate yourself and who I affiliate myself with. He says, no, no, no. I'm talking about something deeper, something more meaningful, something more intimate and personal. That you've come to the conclusion that on the cross where Jesus hung, 
hung the sinless Savior of the world who took all of my sin that I was guilty of and died for a rebellious person like me who did not have the same interest of God but had my own interests in mind. And when Jesus died for me, he took all of my sinfulness, all of my selfishness, all of my guilt, all of my judgment, and died on the cross for me. And when you experience that, you experience a love of God that responds in love back. He says, come on. The first step is that you would fall in love with God, and the second step is connected to it. The second one, you cannot separate from it. That you would love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, John parses it out this way. If you've got your Bible, you can flip over in a couple, couple pages. In 1 John, in fact, 1 John, um, which if you're not familiar with the Bible, this is you know, right before you get to the book of Revelation, spooky. So right before you kind of hit that, 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 that part. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible and you at some point you know, think, I don't know if I believe all, all, everything this guy says, I want to go read it for myself, we've got some Bibles for you in the back. We would love for you to take one and just read this on your own. So 1 John, 1 John chapter 2. John's going to say the same thing in two different ways. And the juxtaposition of how he phrases these two things shows us the interconnectedness of a relationship with God spurring on a relationship for other people or a love for other people. Chapter 2, verse 7, he says, Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. In other words, this is something that's not new that you've had for a while. And the next verse, he kind of contradicts himself and says, The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it's a new commandment. In other words, this isn't new. Oh, by the way, it's new. Some of you are like, that's why I don't like the Bible. Exactly. You know, you say the Bible doesn't contradict itself. Like literally two verses in a row that says, this is not new. Oh, hey, by the way, this is new. It's like, what is it? John was like, okay, let me explain that. The reason John puts those two verses next to it is to say, hey, hey, this is not new, but to live this out is brand new. The way that we used to think about this verse, the way that we used to take this verse, the way that we used to interpret these ideas is not new. But the level to which God calls us as Christians to live this out is extraordinarily different. Almost as if it's a whole new idea. Verse 9, he says, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. In other words, he would say, when there's something inside of you, that when you see somebody else, when you hear somebody else, when you think somebody else, when you hear that cousin or that grandma or that aunt who you just drives you nuts, you know, Holiday times are coming up. We're all going to experience that family member who we're like, I would love Christmas if I didn't have to hang out with this person. When you see that boss or that teacher, when you see, you know, you know, parents, when your kid does that thing that just drives you nuts, when they eat chalk for the 500th time, or when your parent says something that you to me just it drives you nuts. He says, when you see that, in whoever says they're in the light and hates his brother. It's still a darkness. In other words, there's a part of us, there's a part of us still inside that when we feel that, when we think that, is darkness that's living inside of us. 
And whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness, darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eye. In other words, John would say, let me tell you, these two ideas are so inextricably linked. You cannot feel hate towards someone else and consider yourself to walk in the light. You cannot feel, cannot think. That does not mean cannot disagree. But hatred towards another person, and in light of that hatred, consider yourself to still be walking in light. Now, let me tell you why. Let me just kind of put it more like in a human term from my experience. We've got a daughter. She's about 19 months old at this time. One of the ways that you can honor me the most you can do a lot of things. You can say a lot of nice things to me, and that's, that's great, and good you know, sermon, that, that, that's fantastic, whatever, whatever. L- let, me, let me tell you. You want to know how to honor me? Do something for my kid. You want to know how to get on my good side? Do something for my child. You cannot tell me that you love me and do something negative to my kid. You want to know how to get on my bad side? You can say a lot of things about me. You can say a lot of de- bad things to me. But you want to get on my bad side. Do something to my kid. You could do a lot of things to me personally, which would not affect me personally. But you want to know how to get on my bad side. Do something that affects my kid. And God would say, come on. How in the world... How in the world, how in the world can you say that you love me and not love my children? How in the world can you say that you care about me and not care for my children? You cannot convince me person to person that you have a deep, abiding love, appreciate it, and respect for me and treat my kid disrespectfully. Because in a lot of ways, how you treat my kid is how you treat me. And come on. God looks at this and says, exactly. You cannot say that you love me who you do not see and hate my children who you do see. John actually flips it in a really interesting way that I appreciate about John. In the end of the book of 1 John, chapter 5. John chapter 5, verse 1, and here's why I appreciate this, because most of us, when we read the Bible, it's this idea of, okay, you know, if you love God, you will love people. If you love God, you will love people. If you love God, you will love people. And I want you to see how John flips this idea in chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. He says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever, whoever has been born of God. In other words, whoever loves God loves people. By this... We know that we love the children of God. In other words, he's saying, hey, you want to know a litmus test to know if you love God or love the people of God. You want to know how you can know and how you can understand that you love God or love people, I'm sorry. When we love God and obey his commandments. In other words, John would say at the beginning, John chapter 2, here's how you know that you love God when you love people. 
And he would say, conversely, here's how you know that you love people. In chapter 5, when you love God. Why? Because these two ideas are so inextricably linked together. Because the depth of your relationship with God is measured by the way in which you love other people. And you cannot hate someone. Act maliciously or evil towards someone. And say that we love God. Now, I want to talk about this for a second. Because generally when we talk about this, there's like kind of this interpretation, there's this understanding that, so that just means I have to get along with everyone. That just means I have to be a nice person, you know, smile and wave boys, you know, just, you know, pretend like you're not like a real person. And, you know, oh, so now all of a sudden the most spiritual person is the most bubbly person and the most, you know, oh, I love you. I like you. You know, it's kind of like uh, Dory from Finding Nemo. I, sorry, we've watched a lot of Nemo in our household lately. Um, but, you know, it's just kind of like, oh, hi, hi, you're cool, you're nice. You know, that, that, that's the most spiritual person. And that's not true either. Because as Christians... We're allowed to think. We're allowed to have differences of opinion. When you have that boss, when you have that boss who you just, you just fundamentally disagree with and they drive you nuts, when you have that person in your family, your roommate, who you feel like you have been wronged so much, the point is not to be a doormat. The point is to respond in love. That you so deeply love that person. You so deeply care about that person. That you hope and hope and hope and hope and pray and pray and pray and pray that they would see. That they would understand. You see, let's just say hypothetically someday Ava is addicted to some kind of narcotic. Let's just say she's on, let's just, let's just say she smokes crack. It might seem crazy because she's not like a little 19-month-old crack smoking type yet. <laughs> Seen it happen. But let's just say hypothetically is the loving thing for me to do as a father is not to say, oh, you know what, let me just be nice to you. Here, you need another 20 bucks? Sure, we love you. Sometimes that manifests itself in tough love. But let me tell you, if that happens, and God forbid that happens, but if that happens, I love that little girl so much. Anything that I say would not come from an idea or a heart of because I'm right, because relationally I want to win the battle. It would be from a deep sense of brokenness that I am broken for my little girl. And God would say, in the same way, in the same way, when you love other people, especially people who are not like you, it ought to come from a deep sense, deep-hearted sense of brokenness that you so deeply care about that person. You so deeply care about the fact that they are made in the image of God. You so deeply care that Jesus hung on the cross for them in the same way that they hung on the cross for you. But you're broken for that person. You want to know what I think, how, how I think, this is just to me, this is kind of honestly the personal proof. So let me just project onto you guys for a second. 
You want to know how I think or why I think that we have a tendency to just want to be right? That we have a tendency to want to win the relational battle? That we want a tendency for the person, kind of like when Jesus talked to, the, talked to the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and it says that, you know, when Jesus, you know, the Pharisees came out because they, they heard that basically Jesus shut up the Sadducees. That's what we all want in an argument, by the way. For us to be like, we say this, and they say that, and we say this, and they're like, I have nothing left to say. You know, you're right. You're so smart. Let me just bow down and listen to everything you say. That's what we want. But you know how I know that that's a self-serving desire? It's because very few of us actually spend time in prayer for the people who are difficult to love. We pray for ourselves. We pray for patience. God, give me wisdom to know what to do. God, give me patience and how to do God, show me how to love this person. Me, 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 me. But most of the things that we're praying for are heart-changed things that we cannot make that only God can accomplish. If we pray, if we pray, if we pray more than we speak, if we pray more than we post, if we pray more than we do anything else, it not only has the potential to change that person's heart, but to change our heart as well, to be broken for the people that we are praying for. Because the reality is, for all of us, we have people that we disagree with. For all of us, we have people that we would like to disassociate, that we would like to think isn't true, isn't right, isn't real. But let me just tell you, Jesus would say, John would say, you cannot love my children. You cannot not love my children and say that you love me. You cannot say that you love me and not love my kids as well. That you ought to be brokenhearted in the same way that my body was broken. You ought to be burdened in the same way that I took the burden of the sin of the entire world. You ought to be. And you ought to have a deep, abiding love for other people. Let me just finish by saying this. If God would forgive us of all of the things that we've done. If God, who is the God who just did an immeasurable work on the cross, who took on so much sin, I have never sinned against you, you have never sinned against me, we have never sinned against each other more than we have individually sinned against God Almighty. And He did not hold that against us, but sacrificed His self. And He says, that is the call of a Christian on planet Earth. To love and to serve. And by the way, in case you want to know how our relationship is going, in case you want to judge or be able to tell or have a barometer or a speedometer or whatever measurement tool you can see to see how good is my relationship with God, how far is my relationship with God, how developed is my relationship with God, you simply look at your relationship with people who you do not like, do not agree with, who are not like you, who perhaps are from a different religion than you, a different ideological view, a different morality view than you. And you'll know 
Because it only comes from a deep, sensed understanding of my brokenness. That I can love other people in their brokenness. And God's love for me in my brokenness. That I can see anyone and everyone else and see they are a broken person just like me. Which gives me the fuel and the understanding and perspective to love anybody and everybody. Because the depth of our relationship with God is simply measured by the depth, the self-sacrificial love for people who are nothing like us, who are nothing like you, and nothing like me. Think different, act different, from different, believe different. So this is how we're going to end today's service. And I just think this is so, so, so powerful. We're going to end with communion. Because as much as I can say this, as much as I can say, here's what we should do and here's how we ought to think, let me, let me just tell you. To come around this idea, it is not by me deciding again to say, I'm going to love people, I'm going to love people, I'm going to love people to prove my love to God. It is a deep-sensed realization of God's love for me. And that love was displayed on the cross. And just before Jesus went on the cross, he says, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to take this cup. And this cup is going to represent my blood, which is about to be shed for you. I'm going to take this, this, this bread, and I'm going to break it. This bread is going to represent my body, which is going to be broken for you. And it comes from us taking a contemplative idea that God so deeply loved me in my rebellion. There is not another person on planet Earth that is unlovable, if God could love me. Because the truth is, we as a people are extraordinarily divided. Huge rifts, huge gaps. People feeling extraordinarily marginalized. But it's an opportunity for the church to be the light of the world, to be the bridge making of the world, to be the city on the hill. But it will not happen if the church doesn't fall madly in love with God and that doesn't drive us to love people without borders so the second we're going to have some people come up we're going to play one more song we're going to take some communion and i just want you to know as you experience this communion as you experience as you take this bread and you, you dip it in the cup and you eat it this is the body of jesus that was broken for you and if he would do that for us we absolutely are driven to do that for other people let's pray together heavenly father God, thank you so much for the fact that you loved us in spite of our incomparable differences. We are so rebellious, each one of us sinful to the core. Each one of us has chosen over and over, time and time again, to not go with you, to not honor you, to not do what you would have us to do. And yet you saw that and inexplicably had a deep abiding love for us. And it wasn't a passive love where you just stood back out of time and said, okay, I love those people, but I'm just going to let them do what they do. It was a service love. It was an active love that you got down, you became human, and you served and loved us. And God, I pray for our church. For our church specifically, it would be fantastic church across the city, church across the world, but for our church specifically, you can so deeply impact us in our love relationship with you, Jesus, that it spurs 
and drives a love for other people. That the depth of our relationship with you would be exemplified in the depth of our love for other people. And God, would you use this time to help us to experience your love for us. That we would walk out of here not impacted by we ought to go, we ought to go, we ought to go, we ought to do, we ought to do, we ought to do. But we would all walk out here with a communal understanding that we are so deeply loved by our Heavenly Father who saw our sinfulness, did not hold it against us, but sent His one and only Son to die for us. And we would feel so loved in spite of our rebellion, in spite of our decisions not to follow you, that it would do nothing, nothing, nothing short of compel us to love other people. So God, as each person, as each individual comes down, that has placed their faith, their hope, their trust in you. God, would you impact us with your body, which was broken for us, and your blood, which was shed for us, as you bore the sin of the world on the cross. God, help us to understand the depth of your love as we do what you told us to do, which is to take and eat and drink and do it in remembrance of what you've done for us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.